verses 1 through 19 for our scripture reading. So I'll give you guys just a second to get there. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreign land who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, you are worthy of all honor and praise. What a privilege we have to gather here today by your grace to read, hear, study your word all by your design. Our gathering has meaning by the power and work of your spirit. We pray that our worship indeed is pleasing to you. We pray that our time together is edifying for your people. We pray that unbelievers may be moved by your spirit to believe, to trust. We thank you for the many opportunities you have set before this church. 
What a joy it is for us to join you in your gospel work. Lord, we want to pray today for the families that we have a special connection to, the S family in Central Asia, the D family in Europe, and for the F family as they depart tomorrow. We pray for the for your guidance and your direction in their lives and for your encouragement to prevail upon their hearts as they serve you. We pray in those days that um, uh, grow long and lonely that you, Lord, might provide fellowship and communion that is beyond human understanding that you might give them grace and peace and contentment in the tasks for which you have assigned them. And Father, we pray for the short-term team, uh, short team that's leaving uh, tomorrow. I pray that you will supply every need and that you will bring encouragement for every concern and that you will use these vessels that you have summoned for this time, for this place, for this work. We pray that the gospel may go forth with great power and effectiveness by your Spirit. Lord, we pray for our community, for the many sister churches in the area with us. I pray that good and faithful gospel work that is occurring would be blessed and fruitful in this metro area. Make your name great among the people. Make your gospel desirable among the needy, the desperate, the lost. Father, I pray that you bless this church. There's so much to do and time is continually fleeting. Resources are stretched. We pray that you provide abundantly, that you give financial need, that you provide physical strength and that you would give us people as resources, Lord, to advance the gospel. Make us a church that loves you according to your word, that loves each other and all people by your grace and makes disciples here and around the world for your glory. For we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to, um, I want to take just a moment and encourage you to pray, as Nathan has already done so. You pray for um, a family who shall no longer be named among us, the Wilders. Isn't that the name? The Wilder family. That you'll pray for them as they go tomorrow and um, give them a special aptitude to learn quickly, to absorb quickly the things that uh, they God you have in store that God has in store for them in the coming days and also for the team that leaves here on a short-term mission and um, I'm thankful we've had some fellows that have stepped up to help with the transportation needs Yuri Soroka is going to drive the church van and uh, take us to the airport tomorrow and uh, Rick um Palmer has um, volunteered to, to drive a van down and pick up the second wave as we return. We come back in two waves, and I'm still looking for a driver for Tuesday the 29th of this month that would be willing to take a van, or if you have a large Suburban that could hold five people in their luggage, you could drive that and meet uh, the first wave coming back 
at the airport on Tuesday the 29th, along about uh, 5.45, 6 o'clock, something like that. So if you can do that, check with me after the service, and let's get you scheduled. If not, Tom and his group will have to walk back from the airport, so there is that. All right, we are in Genesis chapter 17, and there um, is surrounding this passage, it's all about the covenant. Thirteen times we see the word covenant mentioned in this text. When I read it, the first thing that jumped out to me was the first verse that said, when Abraham, or Abram, was 99. That kind of caught me a little bit off guard. How many of you have had that thought cross your mind? You don't have to raise your hands. Some of you are closer than others, and maybe you have had that thought. But when thinking about 99 years of age, what comes to mind? Look, at the rate I'm going, my body's so broken. Now, where I am currently, I can't imagine making to 99 I'll be a complete invalid if by some measure of God's grace, I do make it to that age. And God is identifying with Abram, who is 99 years of age, and he's saying, now the party begins for you. You've been waiting. You've been trusting, struggling with that faith for a lot of years, a quarter of a century. And now at 99 things are going to begin happening. Genesis 15 described the covenant's beginning, and Genesis 17 establishes the covenant's sign. Covenant, what is it? Well, it's a solemn promise. It's a contract. It's an agreement. But in this case, it's a one-sided agreement in the way that it's put together, though both sides are expected to participate in its stipulations. Why is it necessary for God to revisit the covenant again? Well, if we look back, we'll notice that chapter 16 and chapter 17, there's 13 years difference here. So some time has passed since chapter 16 was completed. And Abram, who has struggled with his faith, as we've looked at that in recent weeks... And we can assume that his faith has continued to be tested during those 13 years. 13 years that he's continued to live with this promise. All the while, Ishmael is before him. And he's wanting God to recognize Ishmael as his heir, as the promised seed. And God has repeatedly said, no. I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And Abraham Every day that passed had to be thinking about that promise and why it was taking so long. Ishmael was becoming a man, looking the part of an heir. Human options were being exhausted. In other words, anything that you could rationally think to make this come about were fading each and every day, 99 years of age, 100, his wife 90. Abraham believed God, but he continued to 
struggle with rationalized thoughts about how this could happen and how it could not happen. And every day in his mind, even though he says, I'm trusting God, every day in his mind, he had to be thinking, I'm not sure it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to father a child, and Sarah certainly is not going to be able to bear a child. He's still thinking in human terms. He's still thinking in rational parameters. And God's trying to empty all of that from him. This chapter outlines God's expectations and stipulations for this covenant. They're pretty simple. He's going to unpack this further when he gets to Sinai with Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. But for now, it's a blanket statement. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. And the second part of it is be circumcised. This will be a permanent sign of the covenant in the flesh. Now, this chapter offers details related to the agreement. It's an eternal covenant. The stipulations are stated. New names are given to Abram and Sarai. In fact, a new name is revealed for God, El Shaddai, Almighty, Sufficient God. In other words, no circumstances or situation is impossible for him. He confronts Abram with this. Now, God rehearses the blessings of the covenant. There will be exceeding fruit in contrast to the many years of barrenness. Everything human says, it's barren, it's dry, it's dead, there's no hope. And God is saying... I'm going to bless you abundantly. You cannot begin to count the numbers of descendants that are going to come from you. I know we look at Abraham maybe with the old squinted eye and say, come on, Abraham, what's the matter? Can't you believe God, trust God? But when's the last time you found yourself in a situation like this where you were hemmed in, boxed in, had no future, no way forward. You had to trust God and you couldn't see how he was going to provide. I'm sure you were a pillar of faith, were you not? The covenant, it's enduring. Not just a family, but nations will come from Abram and Sarai. Kings and rulers shall come from you, and a land that is eternal. Eternal. We get focused on that geopolitical area over there in the Middle East, and we think that's what God's pointing toward. And I guess in some sense, there is a connection there, but God was pointing to something bigger and better. Hebrews 11.10, for he, that is Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And God says, I will be their God. All these people, I will be their God. In Exodus chapter 5, or chapter 6, I'm sorry, verses 6 and 7, listen to these words. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Friends, this is the heart of the covenant. This is the heart of the covenant. It is the heart of God's redemptive plan. We have been lost, exiled, apart from God because of sin. And God is moving and working in this creation that he put together. And he is bringing about a people for himself. His people for whom he will be their God. It comes with stipulations, but not in order to possess the covenant. These stipulations are fruit that the relationship with God produces. Walk before me, he says. In other words, move more openly before me in an agreeable fashion, looking to me for leading and guiding and directing. Be blameless. Be without reproach. Rabbi Benno Jacob a prominent Bible scholar in the 20th century, summarized this in the following manner. This walk before me and be blameless. He said, if you want to become whole, which is my request for you, you must walk before me. You must place yourself under my exclusive supervision, guidance, and protection. The image is taken from the shepherd who walks behind the herd, directing it with his calls, with his direction. Or from the father under whose eyes the child walks. It is more than the walking with God of Enoch to Noah who literally experienced holding God's hand or being taken by the hand and led forward. But the children of God walking and moving before God but who are attentive to his voice. This is what he's portraying here. I will be your God. I will be your all-sufficient supplying God. Nothing's impossible with me. God not only revisits the covenant's terms here in the early stages of this chapter, he then moves into establishing the covenant's sign. Circumcision was to be the sign, the mark of his covenant. Now, God didn't initiate this circumcision at this juncture in time or place. Other people were already practicing circumcision, but he did attach special significance to it at this time. Now, this is very similar to when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He didn't, he didn't uh, begin, he didn't initiate people Uh, consuming wine and bread as part of their meal, but he did set upon it. He did invest in it special significance when he said, these things will represent my blood, my body, and do this in remembrance of me, which is the definition of a sign, is it not? A reminder, a reminder. It was a permanent branding, this circumcision, symbolizing their relationship with God. Alan Ross said, with this symbol, God instructed his people regarding the joining of faith with the act of reproduction. The sign was sexual. The promise was for a seed. The covenanters 
would be reminded, one, that human nature alone was unable to generate the promised seed if God was not willing to grant such fruitfulness. And two, that impurity must be laid aside or cut off, especially in marriage. The sign formed a constant reminder for the people to preserve the purity of marriage in order to produce a godly seed. Practices such as these can easily become empty ritual. Religious practices can become empty ritual. This mark identified people as the physical seed of Abram. Being spiritual seed of Abraham required spiritual circumcision. That is a circumcision of the heart in the soul. Spiritual circumcision is of the heart cutting away devotion to sin and self. Practicing faith and commitment to only God. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. We don't associate circumcision with our relationship with God today. But we do have signs. We have signs. We have water baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. Both encourage us to remember the new covenant. The covenant in Christ Jesus. His shed blood. His death, burial, and resurrection. The atonement for our sin that restores us to God. That makes Him our God and us His people. So God establishes this sign for the covenant. And then he stresses the covenant's uniqueness. Why did God wait so long? Why did he wait so long to fulfill the promise to Abram? Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive Even when she was, listen carefully, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the immeasurable grains of sand by the seashore. God exhausted their natural abilities that no credit could be given to humankind. This was not a work of the flesh. Abraham can't take credit for it. God did this. Abraham's flesh is dead. It's dying. It's decaying. There's no life left in it, physically speaking. God shows repeatedly that man's best is barrenness and death. Life, favor, and blessing come only from the Lord. Then he does something interesting. He changes their names. He changes Abram's name to Abraham. Imagine, Abram means exalted father. For 99 years, Abram has been known as Abram, exalted father. Can you imagine all the conversations he's had? People come to visit at the tent, come for dinner. Abram, that's an interesting name. It means exalted father. Where are your children? Um, I don't have any. 
What? How's that possible? How can you be exalted father and not have any sons, any daughters? And this especially became relevant after he hit 75, and he's got this promise from God. He's probably shared this with some people. God says he's going to make me a great nation. Oh, exalted father, where are your children? I don't have any. What? No children? All these years, it was embarrassing. It was, it was embarrassing. The ridicule. Finally, there was Ishmael. Finally, Abram had helped out God and bailed him out of this predicament. But God said, no. It won't be Ishmael. He is not to be your heir. He says, I'll tell you what, Abram, I'm going to change your name. <laughs> Fine, good. You finally admit, I'm not going to be the father of multitudes, so you can change my name to something else. Call me Harry or Bill or something. God says, yes, I'm going to change your name. You shall be Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. Things went from bad to worse. What was he saying to Abram? He was saying in the words of Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I am the one. I'm the all-sufficient supply. There's nothing impossible with me, Abraham. And he says, and besides that, Sarai shall no longer be Sarai, but she shall be Sarah. She shall be a princess. <laughs> well, a princess gives birth to kings. I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Even Abraham had to laugh. Now, it's not a laugh of derision, but it is a laugh of astonishment. Lord, I am a hundred years old. Sarah is 90. You're mocking us. You're making light of us. What's the purpose for all of this? Sarah will bear the promised seed. And you shall even call him Isaac. Laughter. Because I will have the last laugh. Faith, Abraham, faith means trusting in me. I'm the one who will provide, not you. It's not coming from your flesh. Your flesh is dead. It's not coming from your efforts and your works. In fact, it will happen next year, finally, a time, a schedule. Faith is becoming sight. Oh, friends. Don't fret when you're hemmed in by apparent impossibilities. Praise God for such dilemmas because they are a gift from God to you. It's an opportunity to see the God who is all sufficient in supply work in your life. For once, you have to give up on yourself. 
For once, you can't pull your feet, yourself up by your bootstraps, as we like to say. For once, if God doesn't show up, yes, you will fail and flounder. Stay the course. Believe him and expect to see his plans fulfilled. So what did he do? Got to love it, right? God went up. When he had finished talking with him, God went up. It's now in your court, Abram. What are you going to do? Abraham got up and got busy doing the work. The work of circumcising all the males in his household. Only doing what God had instructed him to do. God's steadfast and sure word prompts us to trust and obey. Not to add to, not to superimpose our own ideas and thoughts, not to create a plan for success, but only to do what God has instructed us to do. God's steadfast and sure word is our prompt, our catalyst. Every day, (laughs) I love this, every morning, When Abraham woke up, he looked across and he saw Sarah, his princess. And she looked at him, Abraham, father of multitude of nations. Hoping for the arrival of Isaac. They could not ignore what God had spoken or promised. God wouldn't let them off the hook. And to their credit, they took him at his word, and they simply obeyed. I've thought about this as Moses and the children of Israel were out in the wilderness. They've come out of, miraculously come out of Egypt, just like Abraham and Sarah had. And he's writing these words that God's giving him of what God has done prior to to them leading up to this time and they were facing challenges you've read through those stories in the old testament out there in the wilderness nothing but dirt and rocks and broom trees and those people had to be thinking every day they thought about the promised land where is the promised land where is all of this blessing that god has promised all i see are dirt and rocks and Broom trees that can't even provide shade. When's it going to happen? It was hard to keep believing and trusting. They were a significant number of people, but they were hardly nations. There were no kings among them, at least none that you could recognize. They were just humble Shepherds, common laborers, this was all so confusing. They were tempted to pack up, abandon the dream, and return to Egypt. In fact, some of them called for such a move. Let's go back. If we're going to die, at least let's die with full bellies. Not out here chasing after something that's probably not going to happen. 
Maybe they should send a delegation to negotiate with the Canaanites. Let's see if we can negotiate with those giants. Maybe we can serve them in some way and they won't kill us. Maybe we should send out a party and see if we can't find another land somewhere. A better land. Yeah, a land after our own liking. It doesn't have to be a promised land with milk and honey. We'll put together a land of our own making and creating. Let's do that. It's not easy to follow Christ in this world, is it? Seems like everything's against us. Seems like it's gaining momentum. God has promised those who follow Him abundant life. Where is it? Where is that abundant life? Where is all that peace that surpasses all human understanding? Where is all of that joy that's full and robust? Where's the blessing that's beyond just the fading trinkets of this world? Every day passes, it feels and looks like you're losing. That God's not up to the task. That God's just toying with us. Many Christ followers are negotiating with this world now. Churches are negotiating with this world. Listen, we can't stand on God's truth. We, we can't stand by faith on what God has said. We have to understand that we're alienating people. And we should probably say, well, you know what? I can personally believe that abortion's wrong or homosexuality is wrong or transgenderism is wrong. But we dare not say it publicly because we're alienating people. And doesn't that work against the mission God's given us to do to go and bring a people out of this world? Maybe we should stop preaching the word of God. Shouldn't we just circle up and have discussion groups where no one gets offended? Let's do it. Let's look for a better land. Let's look for one on our terms. We can do this better. God, God was, God's so ancient. He didn't know what this world was going to be like in the 21st century. Can God be trusted to lead us through this modern wilderness? I believe He can. And I believe we should live as though we believe He can. I'm not advocating for militant cultural offensives and offensives and strategies. I don't think there's any future in that. But I do think Christians ought to stand and boldly stand and speak and live for truth and not be intimidated by a world that's totally lost its mind. I don't think we should be intimidated by the prospect of being called ugly names or intolerant or being shunned. We should speak and live God's truth openly, firmly, lovingly, but without apology. And trust God. Trust Him. He said, take Him at His word. 
even though there doesn't seem to be any way out, even though it may seem like we're kind of hemmed in and there's no exit strategy here, there's no road to success, God says, I'm El Shaddai. I'm all sufficient, God. Nothing's impossible with me. Nothing. Are you an unbeliever? Are you a skeptic? Are you one of those that says, I just need more information? I need more proof. I need more answers. Then, then I'll believe. Will you? Will you? I think not. I think you've already made up your mind. I think you're trying to toy with God. He's already provided the information. Jesus said, even if they see a man rise from the dead, they won't believe. He's risen. Died, buried, and risen again. And his word continues to go forth when the, 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 the world has continually tried to destroy it. It continues to go forth with great power. I think you've got all the proof you need. I think you have all the information you need. God's word is sufficient to prompt us to believe and obey. The question is, will you? Will you? It's a simple question. To Abram's credit, maybe it didn't all make sense. Maybe it all was just a little bit too far-fetched. Maybe it had been a long, long time, too long in coming. 99 years of age. I've lived and seen all this stuff. I don't think I can take it anymore. But to his credit, <laughs> he laughed in amazement and he got up and went about the task God had given him. Putting that sign, that mark in the flesh that would be enduring and permanent. A mark that says, I believe God. I'm trusting God. Father, we thank you. We bless your name today because you are an incredible God, deserving of praise and honor. Lord, I pray this morning that um, in this world we live in that there's so many distractions and so many things interfering, Lord, with truth, with your truth, with your plans and purposes that you've laid out before us. Your people need to continue to be encouraged by you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hands and feet, Lord, that are eager to obey, even though it doesn't make sense. Even though we're, we can be unsure about certain things, but to believe that the God who's always been faithful, steadfast and faithful, will always be steadfast and faithful, and we can rest in you. I pray for that one this morning, Father, who doesn't know you as Savior, who's continued to be a skeptic and an unbeliever. I pray that even now your spirit is piercing the heart and bringing the gift of faith and repentance to change the course, to change the mind, the heart, the soul, or the action moving forward, to abandon self and sin and to follow you, to take you at your word. Lord, make us a people today who know how to follow you, taking you at your word, no matter where it leads us. 
matter what it appears to cost. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.